You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. What you call God, I call wormhole aliens. And Veronica Daschle. Hi. Those of you listening can't see this, but I have a Rocky Geno mug, and I just realized it's the exact same color as my shirt, so you probably can't see it if you're watching so well for the folks who are watching there you go, there you go. <laughs> double strong double sweet right <laughs> uh yes yeah, a moscato is definitely double strong double sweet sweet <laughs> Mos- moscato gino yes okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right and we're back and alan couldn't join us today but um we've got a, a little bit of news um, the big one i guess is that michelle yo won the golden globe for best actress for her yes. role in everything, everywhere, all at once. Yay! As she yes. should. That was amazing. There was like character, all these different characters she had to play in the same movie mm-hmm. that were the same person, but not. So right. I always love when you, when you see actors do that in the same movie. Mm-hmm. And yes. often the persons, the people who win the Golden Globe, will be sort of front runners to win the Academy Award. So she's a front runner right now to win the Academy Award for Best Actress. Now it's not, it's not a guarantee, but uh, the odds are in her favor. Um, which is great for her. I mean, she's put the work in over 40 years mm-hmm. and it's no, great to see her getting her due. Yes. If you see her going back to what was it? Was it actually called Heroic Trio? One of her earlier movies. She, mm-hmm. she was in a, she was in like the, just that martial arts demon movie. Of course, some mm-hmm. people in America first really came to know her in, um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Right. And for so long, people thought of her as kind of like this kick-ass martial artist kind of person. She was one of the you call him a Bond woman, but you can't really call her a Bond woman because she was one of the first <laughs> ones who was, who was a secret agent on his level. She's she's just an amazing actress. I've always liked her. I even like her playing the snooty mother in um, Crazy Rich Asians. <laughs> <laughs> she is hilarious. Have you yeah. seen Everything Everywhere All at Once yet? I have not. And it's absolutely on my list. It's good. It's a very imaginative movie. Mm-hmm. And she's great in it. Hot dog fingers. I know I keep hearing about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> and now... Tanya Giles, who's the chief programming officer at Paramount Streaming, told TV Line at a Television Critics Association press tour event that there have been conversations about the Section 31 series, affirming it is still in development. I don't know how. I mean, she's hard to pin down and get scheduled <laughs> yes. now. Yes. After a Golden Globe, after potentially an Academy Award. I mean, I don't see how her schedule is going to free up any. Um, I mean, I would love to see her back. I like. I've, I've always said I'm not wild about the section 31 same here and i would rather she was playing captain giorgio than emperor giorgio yeah Mm -hmm. but i mean michelle yo is a powerhouse and if they can get her on star trek get her on star trek yeah i'd love to see like michelle uh um captain giorgio Mm -hmm. um like pre burnham sure yeah that'd be great yeah i agree with you charles deal with any of the current universe because all that's in the future you wouldn't have to do that at all whatsoever. Yeah, of course they would. They they cut out some somewhere like Sulu's grandfather or something was her 
original <laughs> captain or admiral <laughs> or something. I don't know. That's what they do. I get you, Charles. I really don't want to see. I don't want to see a Section Thirty One series. Although, of course, I know it'd be great, and she's a great actress. And simply because I know what people have said, it's actually one of those where, to me, they're going to the well a little bit too, one time too many, because. Section 31 is introduced in Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. was literally this incredible clandestine organization that no one knew about. And I know what some people say as well, things happen and records got lost, but only 100 years later to have it as an organization that literally had fleets of starships and badges. And some reason the badges irritates me more than anything else. It's like having, <laughs> it's like having a secret code word or clubhouse. It's, right. it's, too, it's too much for me. Um, it ruins what Section 31 was supposed to be yeah. in the future. Mm-hmm. But it's Michelle Yeoh. So if she does it, I'm not going to go, well, I ain't going to watch it out of spite. Right. Because it's, it's Michelle right. Yeoh. <laughs> I'm, I had the thought, too, and I posted this on the group that, I mean, they've had so much trouble getting a Star Trek movie off the ground. Yeah. Like, just take your Giorgio ideas and make a movie out of it and get Amen. Michelle Yeoh to star in the movie. I mean, I think that would be great. I Absolutely. feel like that would be a much better use of her time as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree with that. Yeah, but great for her. I mean, yeah. her. did you see her acceptance speech? It was funny. <laughs> Shut <laughs> up. I can beat you up. <laughs> yes, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, so congratulations to Michelle Yeoh. Now, you had some news items as well. Is that right? Yeah, um, this is kind of like the Section 31 thing where it's it's not really the rumor mill. But I think in Hollywood, it's, also, it's important, not sometimes not when you say something is definitely going to happen, but when you say it's definitely, um, when you can definitely say it's still being thought about. Because sometimes it's just dead. Dead is dead. And if it's not dead, there's still hope. And recently, there have been discussions with um, interviews with both um, Patrick Stewart and other people behind the card who are sent, Alex Kurtzman, most importantly, who says that they have discussed doing a season four of Star Trek Picard. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason that's significant is you may, you may know that Patrick Stewart didn't want to do any Star Trek Picard when he was first right. approached a few years ago. He was like, I don't know if there's anything else to say. I don't know if I want to put the energy back into a series like that. And then now, of course, he's gotten into it. Well, I think I love is this is the same Patrick Stewart when he first started The Next Generation, who simultaneously didn't know if he was going to last on the show and if he wanted to last on the show. Right. And I think he was one of the ones, like along with Michael Dorn, who kind of lived out of like a, a suitcase, in his case, literally, because he didn't know if the show was going to last. And then he came to love it. And he even acknowledged that his personality changed when he was with The Next Generation. He said by his own admission, he was kind of a stuffy, stereotypical Shakespearean trained British actor and he learned to relax because of TNG and the cast and he loved it. And I think it's amazing that he didn't want to do Picard. Now he's done three seasons and he is looking at a fourth. And what he actually said in talking to Variety, Patrick Stewart said that the show as ending the third season leaves the door open for more of the next generation and crew. And, Pic- and Stewart said, he would be interested, provided the show can maintain the work quality of the first three seasons. Alex Kurtzman, the same <laughs> thing, said that we're not closing the door after the third season. And given that Patrick Stewart is still interested, we are definitely talking about it. Now, that is by no means saying a fourth season has been greenlit, but it's right. kind of cool that they're not saying this is, you know, that there's no chance of a fourth season. Yeah. My, my first thought when you were reading that, given that they've been talking about three seasons and done for years now and now all of a sudden before it debuts they're talking about well maybe fourth i'm up for it makes me think picard's gonna die 
and they're trying oh, to no. avoid the no, spoilers. No, 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 <laughs> no. They're trying to make it a surprise. <laughs> well, I mean, they're talking about, you know, maintaining the quality of the first two I'm seasons. Back. And I mean, for me, the first two seasons have been like a mixed <laughs> yes, bag. You know, so I, I, I feel like confident. maintaining the quality. I'm like, I, I feel like, yeah. I, I feel like they can do that. I feel like that's an achievable goal. Yep. <laughs> so right. good for them for setting achievable goals. Yes. Um, yes right. I'm, I'm hopeful for season three. I made sort of a snarky comment on my own Facebook page that surely Lucy won't pull the football out this time. <laughs> <You know what? laughs> right. <laughs> so I'm going in optimistic again for Picard season three. And hopefully I'll, you know, uh, the, there's a lot that I like in the first two seasons and there's a lot that right. I don't like. So hopefully it'll be stronger this time. Same um, here. And then we had a comment from our friend Fanny Beth Glenn, who said it oh. wouldn't be the worst thing to let a character have a well-planned death that serves a story. True. True. Yeah. Yeah. Not really the Star Trek way, but no. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> it's no, something no. they could do for a change. They're right. like, mm, we want to get rid of this actor, actress. Yeah. Usually it, it depends mm. on negotiations with the actors. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then they agree to come back and suddenly they're alive again. <laughs> yes. Uh, one more bit of news real quickly. Uh, back in 2021, I don't know if you guys remember reading this talk about the Boston Museum of Science had talked about uh, plans to develop a um, memorial honoring Leonard Nimoy. And what the Boston Museum of Science was going to do was literally a 20-foot hand in the live long and prosper symbol, the famous Vulcan mm -hmm. salute symbol. And they made a big announcement about it and saying they want to do this to honor Leonard Nimoy. And one of the things they did was they actually did a crowdfunding program. Well, going on a year, almost two years later, they're not, they didn't really have the money. They didn't make the money that they expected. And I guess given the economic times and time of COVID, mm. I kind of understand that. Yeah, yeah that was right. not a good time to do that. Right. But now a gentleman named Rich Miner, who's one of the co-developers of the Android operating system and is a huge Trekkie, has recently donated $600,000 to the project. Now, they had a crowdfunding uh, goal of $500,000, and he donated $600,000. <laughs> so they just announced that, hey, guess what? The Live Long and Prosper project is back on. <laughs> Rich Miner sounds like a placeholder name for like a villain in a Western. It does. <laughs> Which no offense, Mr. Miner. Thank you for your contribution. <laughs> Sorry if you're listening. Yeah. So I think that's, that's pretty neat. So they said they're going to go forward on that. And uh, they're going to, again, it's going to be a 20-foot hand in the Vulcan um, salute. And then inside, wow. they'll have some stuff honoring Leonard Nimoy stuff. And I thought that was just really kind of a cool thing that they're going to be able to go forward with that. Yeah, I like the Star trek -y take on that yeah i like that mm -hmm. you know that, that that angle but i worry because i mean he got that vulcan salute he observed it during a jewish um mm -hmm. a jewish religious practice when he was a child right. he always said that you know that you're not supposed to look and it's not supposed to be something that people see so exactly. I, i'm not knowledgeable enough about the jewish faith to know if that's like blasphemous or something to have like a giant vulcan salute or not so hope hopefully not i'm mm -hmm. um but that that'd be my only concern there. I think he modified it very like slightly, right? Or did he? It's, it's yeah. not exactly the same, right? It's very modified. That is my understanding is he modified yeah. it. Okay. Well, I hope so. hope so. Because I, like I said, I'm not, I'm certainly not um, knowledgeable enough to be an uh, authoritative source on this. So I'm just thinking out loud. <laughs> same <laughs> here. talking out my you know what. <laughs> <laughs> and then quickly, I got just a couple of history things I want to throw out real fast. Okay. Um, 
I every now and then I, I'll do a birthday that I think is relatively important because you could spend your time doing birthdays. But right. I thought this is rather important. January 11th, 1923, we celebrate the birthday of one Jerome Bixby. Hey, hey. I love Jerome and, Bixby. Yeah, that, that's an important name because Jerome Bixby, among all the other things he did, wrote four episodes of the original series. Mm-hmm. And those were The Day of the Dove. The, which is the one with the Klingons and that crazy entity that was making everybody in the ship kill each other. They would stab each other and they'd come back and keep fighting right. uh, by any other name, which I can never avoid the opportunity to say is one of my most strange um, Star Trek episodes because I feel the back, the first half is awesome. And then at the end, it disappoints me. But that's one where the Kelvins um, are basically mm-hmm. going to take over the Enterprise. Requiem for Methuselah. Mm-hmm. Um, the one with a meat flint. The, right. well, Cruise the immortal human, and you know the big one he wrote, of course. Mirror, 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 mirror. Right. Yep. And <laughs> if also, you only ever watch, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, no, I jumped no, right no, in your sense. No, go ahead, Charles. I was gonna say, if you only watch one thing written by Jerome Bixby, watch the Man from Earth. Yes. Yeah. Not oh, the man. Yes. Not the Man from Earth too. No. Yes. Just the Man from Earth. Yes. I agree. Or see the play because the play is very the good. The play, as well. the stage play yeah. version, is very good too. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's also wrote the, the script for the film that became The Fantastic Voyage. The really cool right. one. You remember where they shrunk down the ship inside the man's body? And uh, he also wrote one of the most famous Star, uh, sorry, Twilight Zone episodes, which is It's a Good Life with the little mm-hmm. evil boy, Anthony, that has the powers and is keeping the town hostage. That's right. Was yeah. was was that that movie where they shrunk the ship down and put it in a human body? Was that a Disney movie thing mm. because i remember I, a ride like that at disney and i always called it the body ride and, you, and that made me think of it i don't remember if that was a, a disney movie or not i don't think so i remember the yeah. asimov adaptation more than the movie because he <laughs> fixed it <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> and two more uh history things on this date january 12 1968 an original series episode that went on to become kind of famous for comedy premiered. And that was a piece of the action. Hey, which is one of my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great one. It's a a great episode. It's a silly show. It's a comedy. It gave us that crazy game. Was it Fizzbin that Kirk Mm -hmm. created uh, on Tuesday? And (laughs) also interestingly, as goofy and silly as the show was, it's a prime directive episode because everything started because one starship a century before left one book about Chicago gangs in the 1920s before the prime directive and that right. entire planet copied it, which I still think That's is kind right. of wild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a fun episode though. I love that one. Yeah. And the last thing is on this day on January 14th and um, January 14th and 2000 and whoops, I'm sorry. I lost the date. But January, no, January 12th was the first day of filming of what has actually become the most maligned of the new Star Trek movies, which is Star Trek Into Darkness. Mm-hmm. And I find it funny because as someone who doesn't love the um, Abrams verse slash Kelman's verse movies, I don't hate Into Darkness because I think my expectations are already low. Like I, I despise, I despise the con in that thing. I, I despise mm-hmm. everything about con. I despise beaming to the Klingon homeworld from Earth and stuff. But <laughs> because I wasn't loving that universe, I don't hate it as much as some people like. They truly, truly hate it. What did y'all yeah. think about Into Darkness? Uh, I I liked it until it went off the rails. I I, I I'm 
I have very specific p- opinions about that movie. I think we need to do an episode about that though, and and really get into Into Darkness when we have time to discuss Great. it because there's a lot of pros and cons about that movie. I think, and I think in a lot of ways it's overrated, and by some people it's um or underrated, and by some people it's overrated. Mm-hmm. So I think, right. you know, I think that we should do a whole episode about that at some point. Yeah, sounds good. I, I I enjoyed it. Okay, but cool. I, I, I it I didn't like love it. Okay. It was not my. It was my least favorite of the JJ verse. Okay. <laughs> That's this week in Trek history. Well, great. Now, if you're listening on the audio podcast, we're going to take a quick break to promote a fellow ESO Network podcast show. But stay right there because we're going to be coming right back to talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. What will you do when your child asks? What were Saturday morning cartoons? What were Saturday morning cartoons? What's wrong with you? Or will you handle it the right way? Sit down, baby girl. Let me introduce you to my friend, Mark McRae. Join Dan Clink and I on the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast as we take a unique behind-the-scenes look at the history and dynamics of animation with plenty of laughs along the way. The Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast is a proud member of the ESO Network. In our Facebook group, Charles, you published a um, you published um, an, an, an article, an item about the the uh, anniversary of Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. and you ask, were you watching then? And I forget, I know Veronica, you weren't, but Charles, were you watching when it first premiered? Oh yeah, okay. I was watching. I remember the first time I saw a trailer for Deep Space Nine or a preview on TV, mm-hmm. and. Uh, see, DS9 debuted 30 years ago this month, which means I would have been 12 when it debuted. I would have been 11 probably seeing this this preview. And I remember mm-hmm. asking my dad, we saw the preview, and I said, is this a new Star Trek movie or is this a new Star Trek TV show? And he was like, right. I don't know, because he didn't know. Because <laughs> back no then, you didn't know things. <laughs> or there was internet, but it was not. And I remember watching the premiere, and my, my biggest memory from watching the premiere is that scene when they're, um, when they're fishing at the lake. And my yeah. dad said... I bet they're on the holodeck. And then they were. And I was like, wow, like he, he got that, you know, like he's really smart. Now watching it as an adult, it's pretty obvious that they're on the holodeck. Yeah. I was 12, you know, I just turned yeah. 12. So yeah. I mean, I watched DS9 from the, from the very beginning. And, you know, I know a lot of folks had trouble with the first season of DS9, but me being mm-hmm. a 12 year old who loves Star Trek, I didn't, at that point, Star Trek <laughs> could be good. It could be bad. I didn't care. I just love Star Trek, you know? <laughs> but, right. The, I mean, first season episodes like Babel and, um, um oh the Is, one with tosk i just forgot I just, the, the hunted maybe i can't remember the name of it but the one with tosk oh, yeah. uh, oh, that was a great one like those yeah. like really stick out in my mind as ones that really jumped out to me at that age I think, did you i think sorry, not, sorry keith because i can i barely remember to say things um, <laughs> 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 um I, I think of all the star trek first seasons i feel like ds and i don't need i don't remember saying this before um i feel like it has the most good episodes really yeah outside of the original series right well, outside of, the of original all the star series. trek first seasons you think ds9 has the most good episodes yes okay is that including the current series Ooh. oh but you mean, you mean if you bring in strange new worlds strange new worlds or prodigy or lower decks they all had strong uh, seasons okay i'm i'm talking Crap. about 90s trek okay so you think <laughs> okay so you're basically yeah. saying you think the first season of ds9 is better than the first season of next gen or voyager and, and enterprise and okay. discovery okay sorry discovery no that's fine i mean i think the biggest struggle they had in the first season of ds9 
was that they were trying to figure out what the show was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, they're they're using yeah. like leftover next gen scripts and absolutely bringing back do a cue and walks on an episode things that were sort of mainstays on next gen that just didn't fit into the DS9 thing, and they had to sort of figure out what DS9. But I think by the end of the first season, when you start getting like duet and in the hands yeah. of the prophets, I think they found right. it. Um, yeah. I think they found it a lot faster than the others. And that one where um. I'm blanking on titles today, but that one where um the the farmer didn't want to move off the moon, <laughs> Brian Keith, Brian Keith, yeah, yeah, and uh, I love that one. That and the, the episodes like that where they really found their groove and started figuring out what it's, it's interesting though. You can watch them figuring out what DS9 is, and probably there probably some battles behind the scenes as far Absolutely. as what it should be. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Because um, did you stay with it, Charles? Did you watch the entire seven year run? I watched um, all the way through DS9, and I was a great age for DS9. <laughs> that is amazing because you know what? I actually didn't stay with it, um, and it was because of what Veronica was just saying. The first season uh, didn't turn me off, but I felt like there was too much retread. It was too much start mm-hmm. to like next gen, and there was a lot of stuff going on in my life, so I didn't dislike it. But I I started finding gaps, and. Mm-hmm. I, I missed a lot of the first and a lot of the second season. And then I think I picked back up around the third season. So I actually had to kind of catch it more in reruns. So I can't say I watched it 100% new run, yeah. but you know, like you said, uh, there was, I think one, one episode where you talked about re, uh, re retread or retried uh, TNG plots. There was one that I really don't like. And there's that crazy one where there's that one village on Bajor, which for some reason has this incredible magical creature that nobody else on the planet has. You don't want to talk about the, is it the storyteller or the yeah? Like that. Um, I remember that no, one where Bashir no. has to become the shaman guy, and yeah, well, that's the one that I probably watched like twice, maybe three okay. times because Chuck doesn't want to ever. Or no, watch it. I guess O'Brien had to be the shaman guy. What did I say? Yeah, no, Bashir, I I Bashir, Bashir was an evil, evil guy. Yeah, the, was, one with, the one with Bashir's an evil guy is also terrible. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just so weird because oh, it, it is okay. I it know what you're talking fit. about. Yeah. It's what it's all with the cloud monster, and they have to go. Yes. The village is strong. The village is together, and I'm like, mm-hmm. what the hell? Because it's like this weird magic thing on this planet where you don't see anything else like that, and it doesn't have anything I to do with the prophets of the far race, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah it's, it's like, like it's... I, until you were talking about it, because I, I didn't. I obviously I had no connection of that. <laughs> that was Bajor planet. Yeah, that was yeah. on Bajor. That wasn't even just a planet. That was on Bajor. Right. <laughs> So it just it it really did sneak out, y'all. And you guys are talking about oh, is it called the passengers? That's the one where uh, it's where uh, with a famous line where they said when I asked Bashir what is your name, and he goes Rayo Vantica. Is that yeah. the one where like, the guy keeps jumping from body to body? And Bashir talks really slowly That's to be it. evil, and it's, yes. it's for me it's kind of painful to watch. Just sorry, is. sorry, Sid. Uh, we love you. Yes. But- you know, <laughs> that's not the Sid is amazing. Yeah. Love him to death. That was but a terrible you know, episode, not his fault. <laughs> I think it's so funny because um, what you're saying is so interesting. It's because they had so little faith. And I don't mean faith like they thought it was a bad show, but they were so scared that DS9 couldn't stand on its own. And now some of the stuff they're worried about to us seems silly. I remember the message boards. They had message boards and conversations in the comic book store. And articles I'd read in trade mags that would say, how can this show succeed? Because it's about a, uh, a space station that doesn't go anywhere. You remember there was that whole thing yeah. again. It doesn't go anywhere. And there was a lot of people who literally predicted a failure simply because it, quote unquote, didn't go anywhere. Which um, is baffling because almost yes. every other TV show 
doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> Look at yeah. I Love Lucy. There's they whole shows that the don't even. There's whole yeah. shows where they don't even leave Earth. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and they, the and they com- yeah, and they completely <laughs> misinterpreted the concept of Star Trek. Now, I, I, from the stories I've actually read, it wasn't really Gene Roddenberry who pitched Wagon Train to the Stars. It was actually one of the other people, like Gene Kuhn or somebody. But the whole point was. If you talk about Wagon Train to the Stars, you travel around. Well, what was one of the most popular shows in TV history? Gunsmoke, which takes mm-hmm. place in a town where they never went anywhere right. because people come to you. And that's so it's so funny. But the reason I say all that is because they did so many things that in hindsight look kind of silly. Like they speci- look like when O'Brien left the Enterprise. They specifically had Picard walk him down. He goes, this is your favorite transporter room, isn't it? Transporter room number three. And he he beams O'Brien off. And then a whole thing where Picard gives orders to Cisco. I mean, it, it makes for great drama. But at the same time, it's kind of weird how they're kind of sort of shoehorning the next generation folks, uh, Patrick Stewart specifically, because they really wanted you to know that, hey, remember, this is also Star Trek. And you're right, the um, the, um, the episode with Q, uh, for example, they were really like, okay, we got to get Q in here because everybody loves Q and they'll they'll watch the show. It's also probably the worst <laughs> Q episode outside the what the second with those horrible animal things in Next Generation. Mm-hmm. Right. Only good for the line "You hit me, Picard never hit me." But other than that, I hate yes! that episode with Q. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why it's one of the great Q episodes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think uh, it's fun to see Q because he wasn't ever on DS9 again. You know, so it, I think that it's like the novelty of it. I think it's fun to see Hugh mm. interacting with um, That's Cisco. true. But I mean, as far as like Patrick Stewart, I thought like involving again, having um, Cisco's backstory involved the Locutus battle, I thought mm-hmm. was great. I, th- I think that still works really well. It sort of puts him right into that lore. Yeah. And then it, it's, it's kind of nice. I mean, and it's kind of ballsy to have, you know, Patrick Stewart, Captain Picard, the the very successful show that's so successful is getting a spinoff, mm-hmm. and basically the new the new commander comes aboard and is like screw you, yeah <laughs> you know I will say that um, yeah I, I I feel a little manipulated in that scene but I would agree with you because I will say that they established real fast a- Avery Brooks can can stand toe to toe because yes when um, I never forget the line is when Picard is talking to him and everything is all you know friendly and then. Avery Brooks, who wasn't yet in his hawk mode, but he says, we met in battle at Wolf 359. And the shock on Picard's face, mm-hmm. yes. the shock, you know, the sadness, the everything. And the, there's a fierceness on Avery Brooks' face that he literally took the wind out of Picard's sails just with that one line. Um, and so I thought that was pretty cool. Such a great opening scene yes. with mm-hmm. him losing his wife during the battle. Oh yeah, and yeah. I mean, he just he's and they they let they let him just be a powerhouse actor on the screen from scene one. Yeah, you Absolutely. know. Yeah, and I and I always I always laughed at um JG Hertzler's in that scene, you know, because he becomes such a big part of DS Nine later that he plays <laughs> that Vulcan captain. <laughs> yeah, that's actually true. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, but but you're right. It's a great opening because I remember when the life pod or the escape ship, uh, the escape ship craft leaves where he left his wife's body. Cisco is literally slumped down in his seat. He's literally slumped because his his wife is dead. He's got his son, and you can see everything that has been taken out of him. Mm-hmm. And then you're right. Later on, they show him. I had no idea 
you know, I posted in our group about how the Cisco's mean so much to me for a lot of reasons. As a man, a black man, as a man whose, whose father has been dead these 20 years, um, I had no idea because the record of children and parents on Star Trek is abysmal. I mean, with Worf, you never know what the hell his kid is because half times like, hey, Worf, where's your son? I sent him back to Earth. My parents are trying to raise him. Then what's going on with your son? My parents feel they're too old to try to raise my son. The next thing he ends up on a Klingon ship. Like, what? Right. You know, Worf is a horrible parent. Yes. Um, and then everybody else just has grief with their parent. Lawaxana gets on Troy's nerves. I think they actually have a good relationship, honestly. Um, of course, you've got Spock and his father. And then we find out Picard and his father, et cetera, et cetera. And so Star Wesley. Trek are really do. And West End and Beverly, right. Mm-hmm. But they did have really- a fairly good relationship, though. Yeah, they had a great relationship, but I didn't know what to expect. And you never know what to expect with kids. And so it really became a beautiful, beautiful relationship. And then they brought mm-hmm. his father in. Um, and that mattered because Cisco is probably the most human captain commander we've ever had in right. all the Star Trek, yeah. with the possible exception of Janeway. But he's the most human. And a few years ago, I read a poll of military officers where um, – some science fiction magazine had done a poll of military officers and they asked him them which starship commander or which commander and track was the most realistic and, and Cisco one. Mm, wow. I think that's because he was the most commanding and forceful um, over the others. Okay. Well, I think Picard should be forceful. I mean, you're right. Like when Cisco, like when you're in trouble, you're in trouble. <laughs> You yeah. don't want Cisco mad at you. <laughs> and I love I those like scenes Cisco where... Cisco had that military no. Yes. Yeah, I love those scenes where Cisco reminds you who's in command of this place. <laughs> oh, know? boy. Does he ever. Yeah. Yeah, if Cisco's your, if Cisco's your boss or your dad, man, you don't, you, you, you don't want to make him mad. <laughs> but I think um, that was why he won, is because, you're right, because he could be you know, your commander, but then he could basically lose his temper and dress you down, but then he could go in and literally kiss his teenage son you know yeah. on the cheek mm-hmm. and next thing you know he's got like a he's got like a cool daishiki vest on and he's <laughs> he's cooking jambalaya <laughs> right. yeah and when i was a kid i didn't know that that was unusual you know i'm 12 13 14 years old i didn't know that it was unusual to have you know a loving relationship on screen between a black man and his son i didn't mm-hmm. know that it was unusual for a black man to be the main character on a sci-fi show i it's just he's just one of my star trek heroes Awesome. You know, I had a Cisco toy. I had Cisco in my magazines. I had, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like I was just, he right. was just one of the Star Trek heroes. And I didn't know that that was noteworthy at that time because I was 12, 13, 14 years old. And then you get older and realize that that had never happened before. You yeah. Know? It was that, huge. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I'm it, thrilled that it was. Cause I mean, it's, I mean, it's obviously very important for, you know, people of color to see themselves on the mm-hmm. screen. But I think it's very Absolutely. important too, for little white boys to look up to black heroes on screen too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And also um, things now that's so funny when we look at shows like Discovery, um, whether we like shows like that or not, like you said, Charles, things that now don't seem as unusual or groundbreaking or weird, because not just the fact that it was a a black person, because, you know, we got a lot of black commanders now, not just Mm -hmm. it was a black person, but also that you can have a commander who shows more emotions now. We know Discovery sometimes may go a little too far with the emotion. <laughs> but as you said, a father who could be a, a, a commander who could be a loving father and a loving son, and then again, a loving husband. Right. And so that, that lets you know that you didn't have to be like the Kirks and the Picards 
who were pretty much always going, I'm so lonely. I'm like, well, there's there's this lady and this lady and this lady. Well, but I can't. And yeah. they're just lonely. And that's kind of mm-hmm. sad, you know? Yeah. So I think yeah. it was great to show that. Yeah, I think so too. And it, it makes him so much more of a well-rounded character. And and I've said it before, but DS9, like it's full of families. Mm-hmm. You've got the O'Briens. You've got the Nogs or the, the Quarks. <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> I don't know if they have All a surname. Right. Um, you know, you've got, you know, um, Dax and Worf becoming a family. You know, you've got um, all these different things going on on the show, and other Star Trek shows just don't do that. You right. know, you don't have a groups of families like you do on. You know, and that, that I think that adds so much to it. Like there was, we were watching a DS9 the other day. And I don't remember which one it was, but it was, you know, uh, O'Brien and Bashir flying to a planet, and they're like just five for five five minutes, just talking about O'Brien and Keiko, just talking about mm-hmm. their life, like you would with a coworker, but. Right. Giving that space to the characters and giving them something to talk about and letting them talk about it, that's not the plot. Yeah, that was what I was saying. It was not part of the plot. Right. It's not world right. ending and it's not a a clue as to what's going to happen in this next Yeah, it's just what's going on with O'Brien. Yeah. And yeah. that just makes them just feel like people. Mm-hmm. And they're people. Absolutely. Like That's the great thing about DS9 to me is that it feels like people and a place that I, I want to spend time with. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's something that I think... Uh, maybe a, a casualty of these new newer shows having such shorter seasons and being so serialized, but every conversation is about the plot and every conversation is very serious right. about the plot. And there's never just like, Hey, what's up, man? <laughs> you know, what, what's on your mind? You know, yeah. there's, a little, there's a little bit of that in lower decks, lower decks get some of it, but like strange new worlds is trying to get that kind of formula kind of sort of like they hang out in his, yeah. His ridiculously huge cabin and cooks everybody. <laughs> <laughs> his cabin's bigger than the um, bridge. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's one thing about DS9 I, I just love is just putting it on and you just feel like you're back on DS9. Mm-hmm. You know? And I mean, in DS9, they, they were able to develop their own mythology. Mm-hmm. You know? With, they ever? It has its own history, its own prophecies, its own religions. You know? Like, it's there's, there's so much to DS9. So yeah. I, I always it, it always seemed I always had to say yeah we watch DS Nine every night when we go to sleep so like it puts mm-hmm. me to sleep and I always hate saying that but I I think it it's because I get to feel like I'm part of that world so it's I mean I've always said it's comforting mm-hmm. because it's familiar and I don't have to think about it but at the same time it's like I'm in that world okay great I'm in this other world that's not this world and it's an awesome world even if a lot of the time there's terrible things happening. <laughs> and I'm sure, sure. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sure most of the people, the people listening, most of them know this, but what I find so amazing about this is Charles, she says DS nine became its own thing and it only became this way because of Voyager, mm-hmm. mm. because the powers that be at the network, also including Rick Berman and uh, wasn't Berman and uh, Brennan Braga, the showrunners. Yeah, Vernon, the, the the show the the showrunners and the keepers of the Star Trek legacy at that time, they would have enforced a much more TNG type show on Deep Space Nine for all seven seasons, including the things that we talk about, which which is the more, I would say, the more morally and ethically rigid type of Starfleet captain we've always seen, instead of the shades of gray that we saw in Deep Space Nine. And literally, what happened was when Voyager came on board, and they had to turn their attention to Voyager. Um, two things happened. One, they didn't have enough time to be worried about Voyager and Deep Space Nine. And the other thing, which I always find is incredibly ironic, is Deep Space Nine became what what paints redhead people, the redhead stepchild, 
because Voyager was going to help launch this new network, right? Mm-hmm. And it was the UPN network. And so Voyager, in a lot of ways, <laughs> oh, became what they yes. thought was their, they thought it was going to be their bread and butter. And so they kind of focused more on Voyager as the quote unquote flagship. And they just right. kind of said, whatever, they left Deep Space Nine alone. Mm-hmm. And that allowed Iris Stephen Bear and the others to craft something different because the other guys weren't paying attention to them. Right. Otherwise, right. we wouldn't have gotten the Deep Space Nine that we got. And I think that's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. And I mean, it's just such a great show and it's so much fun to watch. It's, it's fascinating that like there's so much story to DS nine. Like I, I remember mm-hmm. when game of Thrones came out and everyone was excited about game of Thrones because it was mm-hmm. this big expansive show with all these different characters. And I, and I, and I felt like, well, DS nine was my game of Thrones back in the nineties mm-hmm. that if you want to do serialized star Trek, you know, maybe continue the storylines of DS nine. And it's interesting now that you've got this big next gen reunion going on and you've got right. seven of nine on it. And you've got basically a Voyager sequel in Prodigy, but nothing right. for DS9. DS9, they get they had an episode of Lower Decks with a couple of DS9 characters, and they went back to DS9. But there's not been, mm-hmm. I mean, I've not heard any rumblings about a continuation or a sequel to DS9. Only in books, and I've got a, a good mm-hmm. friend of mine, uh, Tyrone Reedy. Shout out to Tyrone, who has bought me for Christmas gift the recent comic books that deal with Cisco. There's okay. a whole there's a whole storyline about. Now, no, no, I don't think this is copy from Marvel, folks, but there's a whole storyline about basically there's a God killer. Mm. There's a God killer being in the galaxy, and that God killer is going out killing all beings that are considered gods or have powers on that level. So that person would be going after people like the uh, the prophets, right. um, the Metrons, mm-hmm. the Organians, and so forth. And so Cisco, there's a whole story with Cisco, Beverly Crusher's on the ship with Cisco, but yeah, so I've seen the stories continue in books and comics, but you're right. In terms of live action, nothing. And I sometimes can't tell, have they approached people like it? Well, Avery Brooks is the only person I could see maybe not wanting to come back because he's right. Avery Brooks. I mean, he might be like, you're playing this <laughs> piano. <laughs> Just say no. Play the right. piano the whole time and say, I don't want to come back. But other than that, I'm not really sure what the lack of interest is. Do you think it's because despite everything they feel like it doesn't lend itself to the kind of action and pew pew that they want? How is that possible? Yeah, I it agree. has the most pew pew of any Star Trek. <laughs> I agree, unless they do another war. So I wonder if they feel that way sometimes. I don't know. It's don't weird know. because, like you said, even Voyager, I hear more talk about than I do Deep Space Nine right. about some well, kind of because there is that whole uh, what we left behind mm-hmm. um, documentary mm-hmm. that Irish even Bear did that was even in theaters, right? Um, which yeah. I was which was crowdfunded though. See. Like it wasn't like Paramount funded that. That was crowdfunded. Oh really? I didn't realize. Yeah, that. they yeah. had to crowdfund it, and they had to crowdfund I to get. Rem- and there was like yeah. um, the stretch goals to get enough money to license the clips to put in HD. <laughs> oh my god! So they could wow. have, that wasn't like a Paramount thing, but right. I mean, they, it's, they with like Discovery, they seem like they've wanted to do, especially early Discovery, like a Star Trek Game of Thrones. Like if various mm-hmm. sort of Game of Thrones. It seems like if you want to do a Star Trek Game of Thrones, like get Iris Stephen Bear on the phone. Yeah. And he's already know, done that. And all those guys from DS9 went on to like Ron Moore's making For All Mankind right now. He made mm-hmm. Battlestar Galactica. Like those guys were all over sci-fi shows of the last decade. Absolutely. Any of them could bring back DS9. And, and even if it or wasn't anything like that. Even if even if it wasn't DS9 part two, but it was like a storyline involving Bajor and Cardassia and the Dominion, and you could follow these characters in a big like a Game of Thrones style story where they intermingle and they 
interact and so forth. You know what I mean? Like you could do something like that with the DS9 yeah. universe that I'm just, um, uh, it's just shocking to me that I guess it's not shocking because who would ever expected any of these things to be happening at all. But it's all just, right. it's, it's striking to me. I should say that like we're coming off the big Voyager sequel with Janeway and then getting ready for the big next gen sequel that includes seven of nine. And it's like, Hey, where's Kira? <laughs> yeah, yes. I want to I see more yes. Kira. She, she's in one animated episode, but I mean, Nanal Visitor can still play Kira. Yeah, absolutely. And then wouldn't we get Ensign? Well, not Ro. Wouldn't we get Ro if we went like soon after? Because didn't Ro return to Deep Space Nine? At some in, the point? Books, uh, in the books. In the books. But they don't necessarily have to follow the, the book continuity. I mean, I'd love to get Ro regardless. I'd love, mm-hmm. I'd watch a Ro and Kira buddy story. Just those two. Yeah. 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 That'd but be amazing. I'm, I mean, they, they've said that we're going to see some DS9 stuff aside from just Worf in Star Trek Picard season three. So I'm hopeful that it's going to be something meaningful. Yes. You know, um, but I don't know. I'm, I, I would love to see more of DS nine. It's such a rich world in of itself, mm-hmm. but if they're going to do it, they need to do it right. Yeah. But yeah. I think Star Trek's getting to the point now on television where they could do it right. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would have trusted them in 2018 to do it right. No, but now it seems like they're getting to a point where they're handling the lore better. And, Finding people who have the interest to put in the effort to think about these things and that are actually fans mm-hmm. and not just writers. Sure. And also, and, and, um, sorry, uh, Charles, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and there was a lot of turnover. The first yeah. few years of the, mm-hmm. the right. CBS All Access shows, they couldn't. They they were, had a lot of trouble getting the showrunners the right people in place who could they could keep. So then that doesn't help any show no. having you know. Especially at, 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 when it's like the fourth episode of the eight episode season. Right. <laughs> it, 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 anybody's job if you have a new boss every six months, the mm-hmm. work's going to suffer. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. I agree with that, and I think too. Um, and I think one thing they would learn because I think it's critical is not to criticize Discovery is to do a little bit more show don't tell because one of the things discovery has done and still has a tendency to do is they get kind of, they get kind of heavy handed on the messages mm-hmm. and you have to kind of let the messages speak for themselves a little bit more subtly. And you really need that with deep space nine. Um, yeah. I mean, you have obvious episodes where, you know, they have obvious messages, but deep space nine was actually not a show that was message. It was not message heavy on that way. I mean, you had things like far beyond the stars and so mm-hmm. forth. But it's not as heavy as I think that um, Discovery. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not every week, but it could be like, right. uh, yeah, Far Beyond the Stars is a good example. Mm-hmm. And um, the one where with, with Dax's wife came back, things like that mm-hmm. certainly mm-hmm. were. But um, it wasn't week to week. Um, right. Do you think Avery Brooks would come back? I I love Avery Brooks like you wouldn't believe. He's weird. Mm-hmm. And I say that and I mean that so weird, weird like. Yeah, and that's where like a creative genius where I could see him not wanting to be bothered. I could see him just not mm. wanting to come back because he's happy doing whatever he's doing. Right. Um, Isn't he like, my, do, weren't we listening to like Avery Brooks's new That wasn't releases? new. That was from like 2008. The, oh. she's, what she's <laughs> yeah. talking about is I found several tracks from Avery Brooks' uh, 2008 mm-hmm. album on YouTube. Mm-hmm. It's called Here. And so yeah. I was playing it for Frank and I played it for her without telling her what it was. And you recognize his voice. Yeah, I recognize his voice. I was like, yeah. is that Cisco? Yeah, and he's got a great voice. Oh yeah, professor of music at Rutgers University. So he yeah. he's the real deal. Um, years ago here in Atlanta, there used to be a thing called um, the the Black Arts Festival, 
Okay. And it was a celebration of Black and African-American, Afro-Caribbean culture. And it was a series of events all across the city of Atlanta. It was, I think it's every once every two years. I mean, all across the city of Atlanta. And there would awesome. be artist markets and there would be uh, special movie screenings. And there would I be things like- I feel like I went to one of those artist markets when yeah. I was a kid. Yeah. Is, and is it would been be going on for like decades or something? Absolutely, because uh, it was yeah. going on back when um, he was on Deep Space Nine, and there'd be like special concerts at uh, the first center for Georgia Tech. And mm-hmm. one year, and there's always a master ceremonies to open, and they, because the Black Arts Festival, like any event, like the Olympics or something, there'd be an opening ceremony. Right. And one, the one year we went, Avery Brooks was the master of ceremonies. He was the official host for the Black Arts Festival for Atlanta. Uh-huh. He was here for over like two weeks, and uh-huh. there was this really cool opening ceremony at Morehouse College that started out with a circle of Native Americans sitting and beating drums, and then it expanded out, and then Avery Brooks showed up in all white, being Avery Brooks. (laughs) (laughs) And he he was just so cool, and he sang. And yeah, the man has an incredible singing voice, and he was just really great. He was there all week long. And I think the next time I saw him was at the Dragon Con, which I think we were all at mm-hmm. the Dragon Con, where he yes. started he started singing Animal Ring with people asking, was there any episode of Deep Six Nine? He didn't like <laughs> he starts he starts singing from uh, Move Along Home. But yeah, he's kind of a he's an odd creative bird. And for those who have never seen Avery Books literally just in an interview, it is wild because when he'll talk and he'll say, <laughs> Yeah, and nobody expected it. Hmm? Yes. And, and he's doing this. I remember I saw one time one of the interviews where they had the whole cast and they all love each other. You can tell they all love each other, but they were all trying not to laugh just because of the way he was. <laughs> he was and, and this and that. So I could see somebody go into his house and he does that thing again where he's playing the piano and says, well, I'm not really interested. Or I can see him playing the piano for five minutes and says, I'll consider it. You just never know with that yeah. guy. <laughs> Maybe they could talk him into coming back to play Benny Russell. And Benny oh. Russell could be like the narrator for the show. <laughs> there's yeah. a thought. Yeah, that might there's get his a, attention. There's, there's a great thought. Yeah. Kind um, of like the storyteller with uh, Jim Henson, where there's oh, like right, that right, opening. Right, right, right. Not, not, I thought not you like were back to the DS9 episode. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I was like, no, not like that. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you not what like he where wouldn't... he's like the opening and he and he mm-hmm. does this whole thing of, I have this great idea yeah. and it's about we, yeah. this. We know, we know what narrators are. Yeah. I'll tell you what he wouldn't want to come back for. In the books, and I haven't read the books, but I've read up on the books. In the books, and again, we don't know we don't know if the books are ever canon. No. In the books, they take Cisco's character through a whole series of crazy crap that ends up with him like getting on a what a starship, becoming estranged from his wife, divorcing his wife, uh, Cassidy, and then later on getting back together. And I will tell you that what we're talking about, what you're talking about earlier, Charles, uh-huh. the reason. The reason that Cisco's relationship with his father and his son was as good as it was is because Avery Brooks literally insisted from day one, as a black man, I am not going to play another black man who's an absent father. I'm not going to play a black man who's never going to have a romantic interest. I am not going to play a black man who abandons his son. Because as you may know, the original idea when the show was first scripted back in the early days was Cisco was going to die in the last Mm -hmm. episode. Right. And Avery Brooks pitched a fit. I'm like, oh, you're going to go out as a hero and blah, blah, blah. And he said, I will not have a black man abandon his son. Yeah, but you're going to die a hero. I ain't doing it. I'm not doing it. And so I know that he would <laughs> he would not come back and want to play that segment of time where Cisco divorces his wife and is not around his son. I know he would like, yeah. nine nah, playing that crap. He's not going to, he, he will only play when he comes back. 
Um, mm. So, but I think I think a Betty Russell angle is awesome, and I think he'd get interested in something like that. I think especially so if he's kind of like a narrator or something like that. Right. So, what do you think about Cisco leaving to be with the prophets at the end of DS Nine? Um, I was always okay with it if he came back soon. And then when I read the books, I realized he was gone for a while. Because remember, he—I forget—did he say something like, "I may be back tomorrow, I may be back yesterday"? Right. Excuse <clears throat> me, something weird like that. Because literally, he could go out and fight for like five years and show up like five minutes later. You know, mm-hmm. like like he could like yeah. say, "Hey, Jennifer, I'm going to work." And come back like an hour late. And he's all beat up in hell, and he's been gone for like six months. But he just came back into this art. You know, he's gone for a long time in his his subjective time. Time traveler's life. Exactly. So I was yeah. okay with that if he was if he wasn't going to be gone for a long time. Yeah, the thing that throws me about it, and even at the time when it aired, was that you've got Cassidy and the baby. You know what right. I mean? So it, it really felt out of character for Cisco to be like, well, "I'm going to go be a prophet now." You know, yeah. like um, no. If it was just Cisco and Jake, I think it would have worked better because you could have really played up the angle where Jake's a man now. Yeah. Right. And maybe Jake got a job on the other side of the galaxy and Cisco's having to deal with that. That's that's part of being a parent is yeah. that eventually exactly. your kids are going to go off to live their own life. And now what? If you're once you're an empty nester, does that you have a wife and a baby? Like, right. That's why when you said he divorced his wife, I was like, no, he would they, not do that. He wanted to get the no. to marry her. That, what? That, that, that was kind crazy. Of why I quit reading the books. They just, for one, they destroyed <laughs> DS9 and built a yeah. new star based DS9. And I was right. like, no. no, if it's not Tarek Nor, I don't care. <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly. Um, but also, yeah, I didn't, I don't, a lot of the book continuity, I don't care for a lot of this, this yeah. character choices either. So, but that's, I mean, that's, so it goes. That's, that's the thing with making decisions. Is there was an like Irish people people bear to be like, right. oh, that's how it goes. Right. <laughs> Something else about uh, D Space Nine, and you know, again, that nowadays may seem not not as radical as it was then. But Deep Space Nine had a a really, especially for the time, it had a deep pool of women mm-hmm. who had significant roles and were significantly important. Because before that, you had the you know they had you had the history of Number One in the original series, mm-hmm. and you had Dr. Crusher and Deanna Troy and TNG who were never really as Used. utilized as well as they could have been. And then of course you end, yeah. up with Cap- you end up with Captain Janeway, but with deep space nine to have a first officer or the, the first second in command, which was Kira as a woman and no super obvious eye candy like they did. Now, obviously Dax was that was her, her, her appearance was kind of played up, but Dax was a full fledged officer. She was a mm-hmm. trill. And even though all, a whole bunch of guys fell in love with Dax, she wasn't portrayed the way, say, a Seven of Nine was, or Deanna right. Troy, who wore super tight dresses for years until Jellico, props to Jellico, told her to put a uniform on. And so you had women who were absolutely competent. You had a woman who could command the station when he wasn't there, and a mm-hmm. woman who had her own voice in Kira. You yep. had Dax, who was a science officer. Mm-hmm. And... I love the way they were portrayed. Um, I think that show, and again, I think if Berman and Braga had been running the show, I don't know if these things would have developed the way they did because no. it really feels like they just did the, you know, they found good actors and they just said, okay, if you can do this, run with it, run yeah. with it. And now, I mean, that's something we were talking about just recently in the show. And Alan was pointing mm-hmm. out that the the women of next gen were in caregiver roles. You've got a counselor right. and you've got a doctor. Now they did try with Tasha mm-hmm. Yar. It's not their fault that she left the show, but right. I mean, we should give them credit for having the the security chief uh, in the season one being a woman. 
But right. um, yeah, on DS9, I mean, the Kira and Dax could beat up the male characters. <laughs> you know Absolutely. I mean? <laughs> um, and and now like they're both attractive people, but like you said, mm-hmm. they weren't in cat suits. Exactly. You know? They weren't in cleavage bearing outfits. They were in regular uniforms. Now Kira's uniforms did get tighter as the show went along. Um, but you know, she didn't start off the show in a cat suit or in like a a little cleavage jumpsuit. You know, they were just given regular uniforms like anybody else would be. Right. Yeah. And you even had, even though she was 100% never used well, other than that one episode, which unfortunately is the one episode where she wasn't herself, but Keiko O'Brien um, was also, well, she could have been a stronger character. I think they used her too much to kind of show that kind of goofy marital thing between her and O'Brien. Like if I heard, if I heard yeah. her one more time complain about him leaving his socks lying around or something like that, but she had potential. Mm-hmm. Now I know that, Rosalind Chow herself was one of those people who she was often off doing other shows and plays and stuff like that. So sometimes it wasn't that they didn't write her into the thing, but when they did write her into the script, I don't think they utilized her well enough, but um, I always thought she's a missed opportunity. But then you look at the other women, um, like, even though she wasn't a show much, Kyle Paca mm-hmm. or, well, there's Wynn, of course. He's I love Wynn. <laughs> Yeah, she's a strong woman. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's great to have such a great antagonist because right. so many of the antagonists on DS9 are men mm-hmm. that you've got Kyle Paca, who's and I mean, I mean, Kai Wynn, who's she could scheme her way with any of them, you know, <laughs> she could scheme her way around all of them uh, until until Absolutely. there's that stretch in season season seven that I don't care as much for where nope. they kind of played Kai Wynn for a fool. Yep. But um, yeah. But she's such a such a great character though, and just uh, one of those characters you just love when she's on screen, even though you hate the character. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, she's great, and I think um, I think when when and Kira and Apaka remind me of the other thing, the great thing that I love about Deep Space Nine, and again, I don't know if this I, this is one of those. I, I often ask myself the WWGD, what would Gene do? And we know that not only did Gene Rottenberry believe in a utopian future. But if you look at Gene Rottenberry and what he believed in between the original series and by the time of Next Generation, he really went full. He went mm-hmm. full tilt to the utopian future. Um, he hated Star Trek, um, the undiscovered country, because it had Federation officers who were part of a conspiracy. He said that never would have happened. Um, you know, as we know, he hated the concept of the Federation having a cloaking device, which I think is probably the silliest thing in all of Star Trek. Because yep. he said it just it just wasn't morally, um, it wasn't right. We wouldn't do something like that, which is insane. Right. No. And as we know, it, he was the one that made it so difficult for them to write conflict on the next generation because he just felt that that kind of conflict between people didn't exist anymore. So I know that had he lived and been in control of it, Gene wouldn't have um, let TNG go to the places it went. Because if you think about it, not just the stuff that Cisco did, and, and these are complicated things, but Kira was a terrorist. Mm-hmm. End of story. She might have been right. right. And even saying that, you got to be careful nowadays. But the end of the story is Kira planted bombs. She killed people. Mm-hmm. She killed civilians. She probably killed children, Kardashian mm-hmm. children sometimes. She probably yeah. killed Bajoran people who were, she, as she felt, collaborators. And then we find out, spoilers, as you said earlier, <laughs> Kyle Paca. We found out that Kyle Paca was responsible for the deaths of a whole bunch of people because she made a morally gray decision right and then you get when who i still contend was not pure evil 
which is why I think what you said, Charles, is always great, is antagonist, not villain, because that's right. a very important distinction. Because right. I still believe at some point in time, Kai Wen had some kind of faith because mm-hmm. she was tortured by the Cardassians. She did believe. Now, she may have always been ambitious. And so I think you have some of the most morally great people in all of Star Trek. And I know Gene would have hated that, especially for the Starfleet officers. But to me, I think it's one reason you can relate to the show because they feel so much more human. They don't feel like paragons yeah. of virtue. They feel like humans, even when they do stuff that you think is kind of horrible. Yeah. And the gene of the next gen era may not have approved. But the, I think the gene mm-hmm. of the 60s would have. Because yeah. I think that DS9 feels like it has its roots more in the original series. And I remember right. the making of Star Trek, which is a book that I love. And mm-hmm. they have the original Star Trek pitch at the beginning of that book. And in that Star mm-hmm. Trek pitch, written by Gene Roddenberry, it says the year could be 1995. It could be 2995. But it's far enough in the future that that galaxy travel is established, but near enough to now that humans are the same. I'm paraphrasing that because I don't remember the word for word. And that's the, like that's that. the key, I think, to Star Trek is that they've, they've got to be people. Right. You know, and that's the great thing about DS9 is that they're people. You get yeah. this, mm-hmm. And more than any other show, I think, you get to see people who have – full rounded lives um but you get to see them going through things and you see them changing over mm-hmm. the course of the show and that's the really the strength of the show to me is that you get to live these experiences with these people and you know they j- it just feels more real and it feels for me more engaging because of that absolutely i watched uh, i was reading a, a facebook group discussion the other night in a star trek group where people were going back and forth and it was about you remember the episode with bashir and um o'brien crash land on that planet with jim hadar and the commander no longer needed the Ketracel White, and right. he wanted mm, to get his yeah. his he wanted to get his squad genetically engineered, so they no longer get the Ketracel White. And the debate was: the commander says, "If you help me free the Jem Hadar of the Ketracel White, they no longer have to do the, the founder's bidding." And O'Brien, the military man, is like, oh, "You know, f that! Hell no! If we free you from the Ketracel White, we just unleashed a greater threat on the galaxy." But Bashir is a doctor is my job is to heal them. And right. long story short, at the end of the show, um, O'Brien completely scuttles the work that, uh, that, Sis, that Bashir had done where he possibly could have cured them. And this Facebook group was having this huge debate because they were saying, half of them were saying, that was not a Gene Rottenberry ending because O'Brien and that show ended on a note of cynicism which Gene mm-hmm. Rottenberry never would have ended on. He didn't give mm-hmm. Jim Bernard the benefit of the doubt. And I'm on the other side. And I thought it was so great because it was such a morally complex discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that symbolizes Star Trek, uh, Deep Space Nine to me. Mm-hmm. That's and- one of the few times Miles was wrong. <laughs> well the great thing about miles is that he's an everyman he could be wrong all the time right he, miles yeah, to me yeah. feels like a dude who's in star trek more than anybody else <laughs> he's just some guy trying to go to work and he's stuck in a star yes. trek you know yes. <laughs> and i love the way they did little things that miles like you know how often his sleeves are rolled up right like he was really working <laughs> my wife's on my back i can't fix this machine the boss is giving me a hard time and now i've been captured and i'm living in a virtual reality world <laughs> I'm having a terrible time. I have the memories of being in prison for like the last five right. years. No one and cares. I watch my, I'm not going to wipe it from my memory. Even though and what was that? I watched my alternate reality time self die, et cetera, et cetera. Right. <laughs> all right. Well, we're coming up on our time. Um, I mean, I think we all love DS9. And I'm, yeah. I'm thrilled that it's getting the accolades that it's getting. You know, I think people are, you hear less and less of people who don't like DS9 now. You know, yeah, DS9, I yeah. think people have reevaluated. And I think the fact that it's on streaming 
helps tremendously. So if you happen to have listened to this past hour and you've not watched DS9, do it because it's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And don't it's skip the first two seasons. It's the reason to get seasons. Paramount Plus. Right. Yeah. Don't skip the first two seasons. <laughs> no. I'm not a big believer in skipping. Go ahead and power through the first couple of seasons because they're not bad. They're not awful. By no means are they awful at all. Yeah. And, and like Tuck always says, but after you power through the first two seasons and then you watch all of it, you're going to be like, I want to go watch that first episode of those first two seasons again. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, wow, that was and this year? It- <laughs> and I will say we were joking on the thing. I said I had to get this in. It is absolutely true. As much as people joke about it, it is absolutely true that when Avery Brooks is allowed to grow his beard and shave his head, the show changes, but he changes. I've I've actually done side by side comparisons. He does walk differently. He, he looks visibly <laughs> more comfortable in yes. his own skin after he does. After, after he goes all Cisco. Once he goes full Cisco, the show just flies, man. Yeah, and I actually researched, and it turns out the truth of the matter literally was this and this alone, is the studio was concerned that bald head and a beard was he was still going to be seen as Hawk from Spencer for Hire, and they didn't want the association, so he gave in The funny while. thing is, is I, I don't <laughs> see Star Trek and, and, and Hawk crossing over that much. Obviously, yes, a little, but mm-hmm. I don't see them crossing over all that much. I don't see how seeing him as Hawk is a bad thing at all. <laughs> right! <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> All right, Keith, where can people find more of you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, primarily the ESO Network Facebooks group. And of course, Earth Station Trek. Well, I'm going to be trying to post a lot more because I never sleep. <laughs> and how about us, Veronica? Beltlearning.com. And? Monkeying Around, a podcast about the monkeys. Yep. And if you're in the Atlanta area, come out and see us on January 27th. Um, that's at Metropolitan Studios for Jen and Jack's Happy Hour. Or you can see us at the Puck and Puppet Show at the Village Theater on February the 11th. Uh, and we've got other shows that we're in the works. We're sort of negotiating for. So we've got more things coming up. So just go to feltnerdy.com, which will redirect you to our Facebook page until we finish. For now. We're working on a website, but it's yeah. not done yet. Um, but go to feltnerdy.com and join our Facebook page so you can follow along with where we're going to be because we have a lot of fun. And um, we're actually going to be appearing on an upcoming episode uh, as Earth Station Trek. We all guest starred, or most of us guest starred, not me, on an episode of the Cosmic Pizza podcast that I think is going to be out early February. I'm not sure, but we will let you know because we had a great we had a great conversation with those guys. And we had a lot of fun. Great discussion, great discussion, yeah. and we'll be doing it again soon. That's right. Now, Veronica, do you have a closing for us? You best hope you don't see me again at Wharf Three Five Nine. Did you say Wolf 359? Yes. What's this supposed to be? Wolf? Wolf, Wolf. 359. Yeah. That was not a quote from DS9. Perfect ending. Now that was, was Hawk. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.